So Psalm 110, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you or the app on your phone, there's some Bibles on the back counter you can grab and read along with us. This is a shorter psalm that we're looking at. It's only seven verses long. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Psalm 110. Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses he will shatter chiefs over the whole or over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So we need to get our pronouns in order in this text. Who is speaking? So David hears this conversation. He's privy to this conversation. He records it for us. And we know that David is the author of this psalm because of what Jesus says in Matthew 22. It's listed in your notes, or you can turn there to Matthew 22, verse 41. Jesus references this psalm by saying the first line in Matthew 22, verse 41. He says, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him exactly what he expected them to say. They said to him, the son of David. So Jesus answered back, answers back to the Pharisees and says, Well, how is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he now his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Jesus' words in Matthew 22 reveal, I think, three things really clearly. Two of which we'll talk more about. One, not really. But the first thing is that David is indeed the author of Psalm 110. Jesus says it. In the spirit, he said these things. This is David's words. So a Psalm of David, we should rightly ascribe to him. Number two, Jesus' words here teach us that Jesus is the son of David and is really Lord. Okay? And number three, the one that we're not really going to talk a whole lot about today, this reveals, though, that the Pharisees, the religious elite that he was talking to, they did not really care about truth. They didn't really want to know the truth. They just wanted to remain in power and have things work out the way they wanted. This whole conversation with the Pharisees was Jesus' way of telling them that the Messiah, who they were waiting for, was going to be more than David's son. The Messiah was actually David's Lord. Now, for you and me, we hear this, and this is terminology that if we're familiar with the Bible, we're familiar with. This does not ring any big bells or cause any problems really in our theology at this point, but this would have really angered and upset the Pharisees, the religious elite in Jesus' day, because specifically he's going to go on to claim that he is David's Lord. 
that he is the Messiah who David was talking about, the Lord that David was talking about. And that's what caused so much animosity between the religious elite and Jesus because Jesus was claiming to be deity. He was claiming to be God in the flesh. And this infuriated them. In fact, this is what caused them to seek his death. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, this psalm, Psalm 110, probably confused people. It probably was a bit of a mystery. It was a bit of a riddle. But the more that Jesus walked and talked on the earth, the more and more I think Psalm 110 made sense to people. We know this is the case because of how Jesus used this psalm and because of how he used all of the psalms in general. He quotes the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book Jesus does, even more than the book of Isaiah. We also know that this started to make sense in the lives of his followers because the New Testament authors all wrote about it. New Testament authors quote the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book as well. In fact, about 40% of all the quotations from the Old Testament that are in the New Testament come from the book of Psalms, almost half come from Psalms. And more specifically, Psalm 110 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament passage. Just let that sink in for a second. That's how important this passage is, this chapter is. Almost 30 times Psalm 110 or parts of it are quoted in the New Testament, 27 more to be exact. The Jews proudly counted David as one of their founding fathers, right? One of their forefathers. In the lists of all the guys, it's usually Abraham, a bunch of Isaac, and David. He's almost always in that list. But Psalm 110, as they're finding out, as we are finding out and learning, is not really about David. Jesus and the other New Testament authors point this out too. So, again, we need to keep our pronouns correct here. In Psalm 110, the Lord is speaking to someone who David also calls Lord. Now, if you look in your Bible, you've got an English translation, because I don't think anybody's reading from the Hebrew or the Greek today. You're reading an English translation, and you're going to notice that the first Lord is probably all capitalized. It's all caps. The second Lord is not. Why is that? Well, let's, let's define some terms for a moment, okay? Psalm 110 contains two different Hebrew words, as Jason already said, for the word Lord. The first word that's in all caps there is really Yahweh. All right? It's Yahweh, which is the Hebrew covenant name for God. I mean, this word was holy and revered, even so much so that some some of them wouldn't even say it out loud. The second word for Lord is Adonai, which means just kind of Lord or Master. It's a kind of a, it's actually a pretty common descriptive word in that time. So Yahweh was known by the Jews as the one true God, the creator, self-sufficient, all-knowing God of the universe, the great I am who revealed himself to Moses, Abraham, all these guys. This self-existent, all-powerful God, he is the one speaking in Psalm 110 to someone else who is David's Lord. Okay, so At the beginning when it says, the Lord says, the Lord is Yahweh, God the Father. Adonai is a different word. 
Adonai was the general term for the word Lord. So this was someone or something that had power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. So in fact, earlier in David's life, he referred to King Saul as Lord in this way. Same word that's used. Throughout the whole book of 2 Samuel, people use this term to refer to David himself as king, this Lord, Adonai. Throughout the whole Old Testament, that term, Lord with a capital L and lowercase O-R-D, that term is used out of just kind of to show respect, authority. So when David used the word Adonai, he could use it to refer to King Saul, but also he could refer it to, or use it to refer to God. It wouldn't have been confusing for him or the original hearers of this. But our English Bibles and English translators try to differentiate the two in the way that you see in your Bible now. All caps and then not all caps. That's how we differentiate between the two words of Lord here. And so we get both of these words in Psalm 110 verse 1. And there's no question that Yahweh God is referenced and that another Lord, Adonai, is being referenced. Okay, it's not a split personality issue. It's nothing weird like that. There's two different people being referenced here. We've already seen from what Jesus says in Matthew 22 that he unmistakably identifies the second Lord, the Messiah, Lord Yahweh, or Lord Adonai, I mean. So if you want to translate it this way and use the words we just discussed, the first verse we could say, Yahweh says to my Adonai, okay? God the Father says to my Lord is what David is really writing here. This Adonai Lord sits at the right hand of Yahweh, and the day will come, verse 1 says, when Yahweh will make his enemies his footstool, his being Adonai here. So Yahweh will exalt Adonai over everyone else. This is no ordinary Lord that David is referring to now. It's no ordinary master. It's certainly describing someone with power and authority, but this particular Lord has complete power, complete authority. Everyone will be put under his feet, is what we're told. Now, does the concept of being under someone's foot sound familiar to you? If we're familiar with biblical writings, I think it should. It doesn't surprise anybody that the idea of being under your feet or being made your footstool, this has to do with ruling over someone. So if somebody is under your feet... You have absolute authority over them. It's up to them whether you, whether they crush you or whether they show you kindness. You're at their mercy, so to speak. And in Psalm 110, the Lord, Yahweh, does this for David's Lord, Adonai. He puts everyone under his feet. So I just want to be clear because this is confusing with some of the language, but this, this sets up where the rest of the psalm goes. And so if we, we need to make sure we understand who's talking about whom and to whom, and, and then that'll help us as we go on forward here. But are you ready for the really incredible part? According to this verse, the son of David, Adonai Lord, was alive during David's own time and was already greater than David. See how it says, the Lord says to my Lord, this is a 
reference to in the moment. At that time, it's being spoken from Yahweh to Adonai in David's own lifetime, and David hears it. Jesus is David's Lord. (laughs) He's the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. There was a a long time in Jesus' earthly ministry where he kept that under wraps. He kept that quiet. He would heal people and say, don't go tell everybody what happened. The disciples would want to want to tell everyone, he says, it's not time yet. There was a time when it was his divinity was a secret. But I think when he used Psalm 110 in Matthew 22, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He was connecting the dots between Old Testament theology and himself. And he, in essence, was sealing his own fate, wasn't he? He knew this claim of being David's Lord was going to anger the Pharisees. He knew that just a couple of days later, when he was put on trial, the high priest was going to charge him with blasphemy for such a claim. But his path was clear and his eyes were set on the cross and on the joy that was before him. Now, with that said, I want us to take notice of the timing of when Jesus kind of unleashed this claim in the Gospel of Matthew in 22. This was only days before his execution. I think that's significant and impacts how we read this psalm a little bit. This was just days. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy about himself just days before he was going to be beaten, nailed to a cross, thorns, shoved down into his scalp. He's claiming to be David's Lord. Just days before he was going to breathe his last and bear the full wrath of God's righteous anger. And as we learned a few days back, a few weeks back rather, when somebody would quote the first line of a psalm, that would instantly get people to think of everything else that psalm has to say. We've talked about that. And so when Jesus quotes this first verse to the Pharisees, they knew what he was getting at. And he knew that they knew what he was getting at. It reveals this truth, that multiple truths that are so precious to us about Jesus. But I think before they were precious to us today, I think that Psalm 110 was precious to Jesus as well. Because it reveals... Six things that Yahweh God says he's going to do for Adonai God. And this was just mere days before his death. So I think it's right to read it as being about Jesus because verse 1 describes this conversation and who it is about. It's Yahweh to Jesus, Yahweh to Messiah. So imagine Jesus reading or remembering this psalm just days before the cross and the kind of comfort he might receive from it. Now we've already looked at verse 1, pretty good depth. God was going to exalt Jesus over every other enemy, over every person. Everybody would be his footstool and at his mercy. God was going to do it. God was going to see to this victory. And it's clear from verse 2 that God is going to provide Jesus with the ability to rule. Kids, have you ever watched a movie with a king or a queen and seen a scepter? You know what a scepter is? 
It's almost like a staff um, with some kind of emblem usually on the top that designated them as the highest ruler in the land. In the story of Esther, the king would hold the scepter out and you would touch it and that was how you knew you could come in to the king. Now, Jesus has given the scepter. He has the power to rule over everybody, including his enemies, including people who don't want to be ruled. Didn't matter. Jesus was going to rule over everyone. So in kind of poetic language, David records six things that Jesus, I, I, I'm sure, treasured just days before the cross. And I want to look at those in these verses together. The first thing in the beginning of verse 3 the Lord will cause his people to follow him joyfully. Joyfully. It says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. Not under compulsion, not under begrudging terms, but gladly. Adonized people will follow him gladly with joy. And they'll do so, as the text says, in holy garments. Uh, Old-time commentator John Gill says this about it, in the beautiful garment of Christ's righteousness and holiness, the robe of righteousness and garments of salvation. Washed pure by his sacrifice and clothed in his righteousness, his people will follow their king gladly. The second thing at the end of verse 3, the Lord will revive and refresh him. God, Yahweh God, is going to revive and refresh Adonai God. From the womb of the morning, it says, the dew of your youth will be yours. Womb of the morning uh, could be in reference to maybe even victory over the grave, like being born from the grave. Dew of youth could refer to the refreshment and the pleasure that just come from the start of a new day. Any number of days this week, you could get up in the morning at sunrise or even after, and it was just almost perfect weather. It was beautiful As the dew refreshes the plants in that early morning, so the Lord was going to lift Jesus up and refresh him as well. Verse 4, the third thing, the Lord will not change his mind. This, I think, maybe gave more comfort than anything. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now that phrase, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, as, as, as a priest that way, Jesus would not lose his authority or connection with his people. This is, this is huge. A priest's job, remember, in the Old Testament was to intercede for the people, right? On behalf of their sin, they would come and through a series of payments or bringing offerings, the priest would offer those on their behalf to the Lord to make things right between them and God. The Melchizedek priesthood was long-standing. It was first seen in Genesis chapter 14 with Abraham. Abraham gave this priest, Melchizedek, a tithe, and he was blessed in the process. But this priest who he gave a tithe to was greater than Abraham was, a patriarch for the Jews. Jesus was a priest in the same order, one who lasts forever. So God is the one who determined this. And so he will not waver in his resolve to see it through. This idea of Jesus being a priest in the order of Melchizedek is a major theme in the book of Hebrews. And so if this is of interest to you, I would encourage you to read Hebrews in detail. It lists it 
It talks about it like five different times, probably more in the book of Hebrews. The fourth thing we see in verse 5 and then actually the end of verse 6, kind of similar themes, is that the Lord will totally defeat all who oppose him. The Lord is at your right hand, it says. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will shatter chiefs over the whole, over the wide earth, the end of verse 6 says. Similar things. You know what this says? Even the most powerful rulers in any day and age will not stand against the Lord's anointed. Even the most powerful ones we could think of will not stand against Jesus Christ. Now, up until this point in Psalm 110, we've been kind of pictured in the heavenly throne room of God, right? The Lord says to my Lord, here are all of these things. Now, moving forward, we're going to see that not only is Jehovah God on his throne and Messiah God, Adonai God, is at his right hand, but here the king, that king, Adonai God, goes from the right hand of God almost like onto the battlefield as the instrument and evidence of his strength, of the strength of God. The power and strength that he has on behalf of God the Father is going to be seen by everyone, including the kings of the nations and the people in, whose, in those nations across the whole earth. Everyone is going to see the truth about God. It extends out from Zion, in verse 2, the scepter, and brings the righteous judgment of God against even the greatest of kings. Everyone is going to see it. And no one will be able to stand against him. Which brings us to the fifth thing in the beginning of verse 6. The Lord will perfectly judge all who oppose him. So not, not only is he going to defeat him, but he's going to judge him. And he's going to execute judgment among the nations. Verse, the end of verse 6a says, filling them with corpses, which is kind of an interesting thought. The Lord's authority over all nations is going to bring judgment with it. And that includes you and me as a part of those nations. No one is going to be able to say in that day that the Lord judged wrongly. No one's going to say that the Lord judged too hastily or too harshly because every one of us are naturally his enemies already. But he has mercy, Romans says, on whom he has mercy. And so his people are saved. And he does this perfectly. Now the phrase, filling them with corpses, it could be a foreshadowing to Armageddon. But certainly it describes just the sheer amount of people who choose to walk, as Jesus put it, the easy and wide path that leads to destruction. Lots of folks go down that path, filling them with corpses. God's righteousness causes him to judge perfectly, even when only a few find it. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Sixth and last thing, in verse 7, it says that the Lord will exalt Adonai completely, totally and completely. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. While the rebellious nations of the world receive their judgment, the Messiah himself is going to be refreshed, drink from the brook, and he's going to be exalted. God's going to lift up his head. Now, if a person 
around us, or if we drop, if our head drops, if our eyes drop, we say those terms. What does that mean? It means that we're ashamed. It means that we're defeated. It means that we have no other course of action to take or done. It's usually out of exhaustion, could be out of shame. None of that is going to be the case when Jesus comes. None of that will be the case for the conquering king. It says he's going to be refreshed and exalted. His head will be lifted high in victory, along with everybody else who offers themselves to him freely, as we see in verse 3. So just days before his execution, Jesus is remembering these words. He's remembering all of this that Yahweh God is certain to do for him. And I think he treasured these things. I think it gave him strength to keep going. Believer, if you've put your faith in Christ, this Psalm 110 gives you strength to keep going. Because all of these things are true for Jesus, but if you are in Christ, they're true for you too. Your head will be lifted up. No one will be able to oppose your king. He will reign with complete power for all of eternity. And the Bible tells us that if we're in him, we reign alongside of him. Now, for those of you who have not believed, his judgment against sin in your life is right. It's right. It's good, in fact, that God judges sin. It's actually good, or you would have no solid ground on which to stand. If God wasn't God and didn't judge sin properly and perfectly in his justice, we would have no standard of right and wrong, of what's good and true, or of what's bad and evil. If God was not the judge that he is, we wouldn't know where to go. In fact, we've seen this happen in the world at times, right? Where everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And how did that turn out? A worldwide flood where we started over. Psalm 110 is a good psalm to know. Christ quoted it often, and I think embraced it just days before his death. The early apostles, in fact, used this as some of the main content of their early preaching. In your notes, I've got these things listed. Stephen's last words echoed the idea of Jesus being high and exalted above all with people put under his feet. Peter quoted it on Pentecost. Paul used it in his preaching often in multiple places. The author of Hebrews quotes it over and over, this idea of Jesus being a priest, being high and lifted up. I even read somewhere this week where this psalm is called the most famous psalm in all of Scripture because it's quoted so often. The psalm gave Jesus the confidence to head to the cross knowing that he is indeed the son of the father who will be welcomed into his right hand, who will be welcomed into his presence. He will not turn him away. He will not change his mind. The Lord has done it. See, Jesus might have appeared to be weak to the people who were around him. At this point in his life, when he quoted this psalm, he may have appeared to be weak, almost like a sheep before his shearers. But in reality, he actually stood firm 
with a scepter in his hand, ruling over the nations. Even surrounded by his enemies on the cross, Jesus was in control, wasn't he? He was more than just the son of David. In fact, I would even say he was more than just the Lord of David. He was those things, but I would say that Jesus really is Lord of all. He's Lord of everyone. Not just Lord of David, not just Lord of the Jews. He's Lord of all. Here's the question that we have to answer for ourselves. Is he your Lord? He already stands. That's already a fact as taught in Scripture. But do you recognize him as Lord? Your answer to that question changes your eternity. And I would encourage you to think on it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 110. It is a wonderful reminder, Lord, uh, of the confidence that Jesus had moving into Holy Week and moving into the torture before the cross where his nails, where nails were pierced his hands and his feet where he took his last breath and even in those last moments saying, Father, forgive them. Lord, he is a king that rules and yet he has mercy on whoever calls upon his name. Lord, my hope and my prayer today is that as we have read through these words of David's that were inspired by the Spirit, through the Spirit, Lord, I pray that we would have the same kind of confidence in our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. That he's not only the Lord of David, that he's my Lord. And so, Lord, if people can't, if, if someone can't say that with conviction today, if they can't say that and mean it, that Jesus is their Lord, God, I pray that you would motivate them and move them to get out of their seat and come up and talk with me. Or that they would, you would motivate them to fall to their knees and cry out for salvation from you. Well, that's how we take comfort from this psalm, knowing that the one who we have put our faith and trust in completely is the one who really rules over all with a scepter in his hand. You have done it, and you will not change your mind. So, Lord, as we pray, and then as we move into a time of reflecting on the cross, I pray that you would move in our hearts in a mighty way. In Christ's name that I pray.